Well, thank you all for being here tonight. Those of you watching by live stream, we thank you for joining us. Uh, Pastor John is in the house tonight, but he was he had to meet with our the elders tonight, and so he asked me to come and fill in with him. So I'm especially thankful for this opportunity to be used of God tonight, and so we thank you, Lord, and we thank all of you. And so um, let's get right into the word tonight, because I think God has something that he wants to say to us. There was a man who was named Alfred, and he walked into a gold's gym, and you know, gold gym, they're all over the country, where these men that, were, that are built like boss cars, with mus- muscles bulging out all over their bodies, and where they spent hours pumping iron and just lifting weights. And so he walks into this gold's gym, and this one big muscle-bound guy comes up to him and grabs hold of his hand and says, how are you doing, big guy? And so Alfred, who's an accountant, and who's never lifted up anything heavier than a, a, a paperweight, thought to himself, is he talking to me? Does he think I'm a big guy? And with that, he, was de- he began visiting the Gold's Gym on a regular basis and was determined to transform his body into a body that he can be proud of and a body that he can feel good about. Talk about the power of words. How many parents you know who call their children stupid, lazy, ugly, no good, you're a nobody, or, or, or scolded them and say, can't you do anything right? Guess what? Those are self-fulfilling prophecies. There was a gentleman who who began sharing about the time when he was a teenager. And there was a relative of his, a close relative, who would come to him and say, I don't trust you. From that point on, he was determined to give this person every reason not to trust him. And he became a juvenile delinquent, always getting in trouble with the law. Again, we see the power of words. And tonight I want to spend the next 15 minutes or so talking to you through the word of God how powerful your words can be how destructive or how effective your words can be not only to yourself but to others and even to our circumstances the Bible makes it very clear that our words carry much power the scriptures reveal that our words can give life or can produce death There was an article that I read from Psychology Today and it says this about words. It says words can change how people perceive reality. It says that words create filters through which people view the world around them. For instance, a single word can make the difference between liking a person or disliking a person. If you were about to meet somebody for the first time and a friend comes along and tells you that that person that you're going to meet is untrustworthy, those words, well, apparently you will be swayed and you will be influenced by that one word that will create a filter causing you to be more inclined to view that person that you're about to meet as being untrustworthy. And from that point on, Everything that person says or does will be considered untrustworthy because of that one word. 
Words are powerful. Every word that comes out of our mouth is a potential seed. And like every seed, there's a potential harvest. The question is, what kind of seeds are you bringing forth? The Bible tells us that whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. What are you sowing? What words are you producing? The Bible tells us that words, our words, are so powerful that it can produce life or death. It can hurt or it can heal. It can encourage or it can discourage. Our words are powerful. I want you to turn to somebody and tell them, your words are powerful. Solomon understood the power of words when he wrote in, in Proverbs 18 and verse 21. Why don't you go there with me? Proverbs 18 and verse 21. It's a very familiar verse of scripture, but a very powerful and profound verse of scripture. It says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Solomon reminds us of the power that our words hold. That our, that our words hold the power of life and death. As a matter of fact, that word power in the original Hebrew literally means hand. So the scripture should actually read that death and life are in the hands, if you will, of the tongue. If you remember the story when Jesus, back in John 9, uh, Gospel, John's Gospel, the 19th chapter, where Jesus had been, uh, had been beaten and, and scourged for, for, with 40 stripes and just, you know, I mean, he was just messed up. And after he was beaten for 40 stripes, he was brought before Pontius Pilate. And then Pontius Pilate brings him aside and he says to him, he asked, uh, Pontius, Pilate, Pontius Pilate asked him a question. And Jesus did not respond to that question. He said nothing, as a matter of fact. And Pontius Pilate, being puzzled, said, don't you answer my question? Aren't you not speaking to me? He says, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? What Pontius Pilate was simply saying was this, that the power, the authority, and the, or the ability to crucify you or to set you free are in my hands. That's what Solomon was saying in Proverbs 18.21. That our tongue has the power, has the ability, has the authority of life and death. Our words are powerful. The Bible says that in 1 Corinthians 14.10, Paul says that of all the languages in the world, not a word is without significance or meaning. The voice of, uh, in this world, every voice in this world, no matter what language it is, has meaning, has significance, has importance, but it also has consequences. Our words count big time. <clears throat> and that might be a good thing or a bad thing depending on the words that we choose. Many of us here tonight, and those of you who are watching, our personalities, our makeup, our attitudes have been shaped by words. Many of us are a product of words. Some of those words have come from someone, a family member, a friend, a guardian. Sometimes those words come from ourselves. 
I like what Jack Hayford said, a pastor from California. He said this very powerful word. He says this, your words are the paint with which you paint your reality. And I ask this question to you. What words are you using to paint your reality? What words are you using to paint the reality of your children? What words are you using to paint the reality of your spouse? What words are you using to paint the reality of your circumstances? So, if our words are the very tools with which we use to, to create our reality or the reality of others, then understand then surely that our words are our most powerful tools. Solomon says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And the last part of that verse, he says, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love what? The tongue. Those who love the tongue will eat its fruit. As I mentioned to you earlier that every word that comes out of our mouth is a potential seed. And every seed will produce some fruit and we're going to be required to eat the fruit or the consequences of the words that we create. And that's what that verse is saying. Those who love it, those who love the tongue will eat the fruit or eat the consequences of their words. Now our words can benefit us and benefit others when we speak life, encouragement. It will always bring about positive results. But when our words are hurtful, when our words are, 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 are corrupt, then it's going to develop or produce death or negative results. It's like a witness in a court of law, right? If you're a witness in a court of law, you can help determine by your words whether a defendant is free or be incarcerated, whether he lives or whether he dies. But whatever our words, whatever the words that come out of our mouth, whatever our tongue produces is going to produce some kind of fruit, whether it's life or death. And I need to understand that, just like Solomon says, we're going to eat the fruit of the words that come out of our mouths. And I think that's really important for us to understand, that when we look at our words as a seed, it'll allow us to watch what we say. Because our words are going to produce something in ourselves or in others. How many of you sometimes call yourself, you know, you, you, you do something foolish and you say, I'm so stupid. Or, man, what a fool I've been. Those words have seeds. And they can produce something in you. So you got to be careful what you say. Because our words are like seeds and it's going to produce a harvest. So we know that our words have power. And the Bible tells us that our words can be very destructive. Go to James chapter 3. Words are like matches. In October 8, in 1871, there was a story about Mrs. O'Leary's cow that kicked over a lantern about 8.30 at night. That led to the great uh, Chicago fire. And, uh, and on that night, that fire caused 100,000 people to be homeless. It caused 17,500 buildings to be destroyed. 300 people died 
And $40 million worth of damage was done, all because a cow kicked over a lantern. One match can burn down a house. And the tongue is like a match. It sets things on fire and become destructive. Listen to what James says. Well, before I read James, let me just tell you what Jack Hayford says. He says this. He says, our words have the power to shape something in us that can be destructive. i like to add to that. Our words carry the power to shape something not only in us, but also in others, but also in our circumstances that can be destructive. Listen to what James says about the tongue. In verse 5, it says this, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue, verse 6, is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body or corrupts the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. James doesn't have a good thing to say about our tongue. But he says the tongue is like a fire. You know, just like a spark can burn a house, a little thing like the tongue can cause a lot of trouble. How many of you have ever gotten yourself in trouble because of what you said? Let me be the first to raise my hand. There are some people who are still dealing with the consequences because of their words. But James also says that the tongue can be a fire that is set from hell. Someone once said that a bad tongue is the organ of the devil. <clears throat> and we know what the devil will do with that tongue. That will hurt, kill, destroy, slander, accuse, all from the pit of hell. But this small member, this tongue that Paul talked, that, that James talks about, is full of potential wickedness that can cause so much damage, not only to ourselves, but to the church community as well. How many churches you know have been split up because of division, simply because of what people said? It's an evil thing if it's gone under control. That's, that's what that is. And that's what Paul was talking about. He's talking about an uncontrolled tongue. There was this funny story about a lady who went to her pastor and, and she says to her pastor, Pastor, I'm really struggling with my tongue. I want to put my tongue on the altar. And the pastor looks at the woman and says, Sister, our altar's not that big. Turn to your name and says, How big is your tongue? But James continues, if you're still in James chapter 3, look at verse 8. He still continues to talk about this tongue. He says, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil. Unruly meaning restless, unstable, or undisciplined. And it says, and full of deadly poison. In verse 9, it says, with, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. Who have been made in the similitude of God. Verse 10. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. And then he charges the church and says, My brethren, these things ought not to be so. 
especially in the body of Christ. What makes this tongue so unruly? What makes this tongue a deadly poison is the fact that blessing and cursing can come out of the same mouth. And the scripture says this ought not to be so, not in the church, not in the body of Christ. There's unstableness in our tongues. And it can bring destruction. Let me give you an example of that. Go to Numbers chapter 13. Many of you know the story. You know, it's the children of Israel were in the wilderness and God instructs Moses to choose 12 men to go into the promised land to spy out the land, to see what the land is like and see what the people are like. So he sends 12 men out into the, uh, into the promised land where there they spy out the land. 40 days later, they come back. And they come back with a report to Moses. Now, in verse 30, Caleb, one of the spies, well, first of all, let me just say this. When they all came back with the report, they all agreed that the land that they spied out was exactly the land that God said it was. A land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was a land that was flourishing, a land that was fertile. They even brought back clusters of grapes and all kinds of stuff to show that this truly was a land of promise, a land that was formed with milk and honey. However, this land also had some challenges because there were people in the land who were strong and fierce, people who lived in fortified cities. And in verse 30, Caleb, who is one of the uh, spies, goes up and says to the people and before Moses, let us all go up and possess this land. It says, for we are well able to overcome it. But then in verse 31, the other men, 10 of those 12 spies, they also spoke. And this is what they said. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Listen to the words of these 10 spies. They said, we are not able. Why? Because the people in the land was much stronger than them. But they didn't stop there because they continued with their words in verse 32. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. How did this bad report come about? With words. And it says, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. Now, if you heard that, that would be intimidating. It's, wow, you mean these people eat people? I mean, they're going to eat you up? And, you know, that's, that's pretty scary. They were painting a picture here. And they go on to say, And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Verse 33. There we saw giants. And it says, And we were like grasshoppers in our sight, and so we were in their sight. What do you suppose the people heard from this report? First of all, it certainly was a bad report. But what they heard was fear and doubt. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the hands. And those who love it will eat the fruit. Now let's look at the fruits that was produced because of these words. Look over Numbers chapter 14 in verse 1. It says, so all the congregation lifted up their voices, having heard this bad report, and they cried, and the people wept that night. 
The words that they heard from these spies produced fear and doubt and hopelessness in all of these people. We're talking about an entire congregation of God's people here. I'm still talking about the power of words here. Now listen to what the congregation had to say about the words that they heard from these spies. Look at verse 2. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Their words is what got them in trouble. Listen. The Bible says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. These people spoke from out of the abundance of their hearts. They spoke what they believed in their hearts. And what did they believe in their hearts? They believed that they were like grasshoppers. They believed that they could not overcome these people. They believed that they could not succeed in this venture of going into the promised land and possessing it as God promised them. They were filled with fear and doubt that prevented them saying, no, we're not going into that promised land. We're too scared. We can't deal with these people. We can't defeat these people. The words of the spies created filters through which the people viewed the land of God that God had promised them as a land that was impossible to claim. Sometimes we speak things into our lives that talk us right out of claiming the promises of God. Because we begin to start saying, you know, well, we can't do that or we can't accomplish this. You know, uh, if, we start think, if we start talking lack and defeat, then we're talking ourselves out of the promises of God. Because God says, I shall supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory. But when we start talking defeat and doubt, or when we start speaking lack, we're disagreeing with God. Every word we speak, as I mentioned earlier, is a potential seed. And the children of Israel began to view the land shaped by the words that they heard as a land that could not be gotten, a land that could not be claimed. So their words produced some bad fruits and it cost them their lives. God heard the abundance of their hearts. Now, look in verse 28 of Numbers 14 because now God steps in and God has something to say. He says to Moses in verse 28, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. Look at verse 29. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years and above. What were these words that God said to them when God says just as you have spoken in my hearing so I will do to you what were these words that God was referring to well you have to go to verse 2 again in numbers 14 let's go back to verse 2 these were the words that God heard them say he said their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron and said if only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness. God says, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. And so because of that, the children of Israel, this is the first generation 
from 20 years old and up. They all wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and they all died in the wilderness, just as they said. Never did they enter into the promised land because they talked themselves out of it. They talked themselves out of the promises of God. And because of it, they got exactly what they said. They died in the wilderness. These were the fruits of their lips. These were the harvest of their words. There is power in our words. The entire congregation of God's people, that generation, all chose to believe the bad report of the spies rather than believing the promises of God. What about the ten spies? Well, they too had to eat the fruit of their lips. Look in verse 36. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned, and watch this, and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land. Verse 37. Those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. You know, it's one thing to speak negative words about yourself, but man, when you speak about to somebody else, when your words influence other people, when your words prevent people from claiming the promises of God, when your words prevent people from growing and developing with God, that's a dangerous thing. That's a dangerous place to be. Someone once said this, what we say today impacts our tomorrow. Their words influence an entire nation, believing that they weren't able to overcome or claim the promises of God and overcome the challenges that they were about to face in the promised land, knowing that God had already said, I've given it to you already. But the people chose to believe the spies, and because of that, they all died. Proverbs 18 and verse 7 says that the mouths of fools are their ruin or destruction. They trap themselves with their lips. Understand that God has made us stewards over the earth and over all of, of creation. But he also made us stewards over our mouths. We are our own prophets. And my question to you is, what are you prophesying over your life? What are you prophesying over your family life? Or what are you prophesying over your circumstances? What words are you sowing? How many people have you influenced with your words? How many people have you ticked off with your words? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Look at what Jesus said. Go to Matthew chapter 15. Jesus also understood the power of words. Jesus had just finished rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes because the scribes and Pharisees complained and were criticizing his disciples because they were eating bread without washing their hands. It wasn't about hygiene. It was more about the traditions of men that they were concerned about. They said to Jesus, why is it that your disciples are violating the tradition of man by not washing their hands before eating? And Jesus had to rebuke them. And then he turned to a multitude of people and he said this in verse 11. 
It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you or corrupts you. He says you are defiled or corrupted by what? The words that come out of your mouth. Now, Peter had asked for an explanation of this. So, Pete, so, so Jesus took the time to explain what he said. Look at verse 18. He says, but the words that you speak come from the heart. Remember, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he says, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. That's what corrupts you. Because from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, <coughs> theft, lying, and slander. What things proceed out of your mouth? Words. And it's words that can corrupt us. And it's the condition of the heart that determines the words and your actions. So we can see how destructive our words can be, not only to ourselves, but also to others. Proverbs 6, 2 says, You are snared by the words of your mouth, and you are taken by the words of your mouth. So let me ask you this question. Does it matter what we say? The answer should be yes. Because we just read uh, in Matthew 15, 11, how Jesus talked about how it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. He also says in Matthew 12, 36, that there will be a day when we will all be held accountable or given account on the last day of judgment, every idle word that comes out of our mouth. So if words matter to Jesus, it should also matter to us. Amen. So we looked at how powerful our words are. And we saw how destructive our words can be. But with the time that we have remaining, I want to focus on how powerfully effective our words can be. You know, our words can be destructive, but our words can also be effective. And we're going to learn how to do that. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 29. Paul appreciated and understood the importance of words when he wrote this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. He says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good or beneficial for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. These words of edification are not just for yourself but also for others like your spouse, your children, your friends, your neighbors, your boss. Yes, I said your boss. Jesus also demonstrated powers of words. And what I loved about Jesus was he, everything he said, he said perfectly. And he said wisely. And whatever words he used, it was always effective. An example here is in, first, in, in John's Gospel, the first chapter. You don't need to turn there. But this is when Jesus was starting out in his ministry. And he started going out selecting his disciples. He saw Philip and he said, Philip, come and follow me. And so Philip came and followed him. Then Philip got all excited and went to look for his friend Nathaniel. And he finds Nathaniel and he says, Nathaniel, the people, the, the man that Moses and the prophets were writing about, He's here, and his name is Jesus, son of Joseph, who's from Nazareth. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? The implication here is that nothing 
whatever comes out of Nazareth that is good. It was a derogative statement that Nathaniel made, saying that if, if, if this is supposed to be the Messiah, then shouldn't he come to some other, from other prominent city like Jerusalem? But Nazareth? Nothing ever good comes out of Nazareth. So uh, Philip says, well, come and see for yourself. So they both get up looking for Jesus. As they were approaching Jesus, Jesus sees Nathanael. And this is, when Nathanael, this is what Jesus says to Nathanael. Now understand that Jesus knows all things. He sees all things and he hears all things. And this is what Jesus says when he sees Nathanael. In verse 47 in John's Gospel, chapter 1. As they approached Jesus, Jesus said with his words to Nathanael, now here is a true son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. And not too, and just a few minutes ago, Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? If he's from Nazareth, he can't be all that good. Can't be all that great. But that didn't bother Jesus because Jesus spoke life. Jesus spoke words of encouragement. Jesus spoke into this guy's life and says, you are a true man of complete integrity. That's how Jesus handles situations. That's how Jesus speaks to people. He speaks life. And we ought to do the same thing. Even though it may not look like you're a person of integrity, but yet you're going to speak that. You know, you, our son, our oldest son, you know, we all have, you know, we had four children. And um, there's always one that was always more challenging than the other. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And, uh, you know, my wife and I, we have this saying, you know, when someone compliments us about our children, how well we raised them, they say, well, we raise our children on our knees. And that's true, especially for this one particular child. But you know, even though it did not look like this child wasn't going to learn anything, yet we kept speaking life over that child. Even though it looked like, man, this is like, no, I know how many times we keep telling this person, don't do this, but yet this kid still keeps doing it. But yet we kept speaking life. Even when, when, when our faith and our confession didn't agree with what was going on, we still stuck with our word. Because we believed in our heart that God had a, a, a call in his life. We believe and we can see it. And we hung on to that. And we prayed. And we stood on God's word for that. And as much pains as it was, it was a lot of tears, a lot of aggravation, a lot of anger, a lot of, a lot of frustration. But now our son has a wonderful family. He, he uh, took in three other children. He and his wife are directors of the, of the youth ministry in the church, serving God. And we saw that, all we saw that, even though it didn't look like that. But yet we were speaking life, we were speaking faith, we were speaking God's word over that boy's life. And look at what God has done. Words have power. Our words carry power. So when Jesus saw Nathaniel, Jesus spoke words of life. And he says, he's a man of complete integrity.
What are you speaking in your own life? What words are you speaking in your children's life? What words are you speaking in your circumstances? Our prayers should be the prayers that we read in Psalm 19 and verse 14. And it goes like this. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. That should be our prayer every day. Those who want good fruits in their lives, we must endeavor to speak good words of life and blessing. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. 1 Peter 3 and verse 10 says this, For he who would love life or enjoy life, how many of you want to enjoy life? How many of you want to see many good days? Then this is what we do. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. We are also promised that the tongue can produce good things that can affect our lives positively. Look at Proverbs 12 and verse 18. Verse 18 says, There is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Proverbs 21 and verse 23 says, Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. How can we guard our mouth from speaking words that are destructive and negative? Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 17. How can our words be effective and be able to speak life to ourselves, to others, and to our circumstances rather than speaking death and destruction? Well, the first thing we must do is we must first lay hold of God's word and make it ours. His word should be our words. Paul says in uh, Colossians 3.16, let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom. When we talk about the power of words, the Bible tells us that we are to arm ourselves with what? God's word. In Ephesians 6, Paul lists many of the pieces of the armor of God that we are to put on. And that last piece of armor is found in verse 17. And that armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want, you, I want to read something to you from Charles Capps. This is from a book that I, that I bought a long, long time ago called Releasing the Ability of God. Awesome book. And this is what he says. God's Word, conceived in the heart, then formed in our tongue, and then spoken out of the mouth, becomes a spiritual force. Releasing the ability of God. Isn't that powerful? Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is alive and powerful. God's word is a living force. God's word possesses power. And we are to lay hold of the word of God by receiving it by faith and then confessing it. Because by confessing it, we are releasing the ability of God. But the ability of God is God's word, not your words. Okay? Confessing is releasing the ability of God. Now, let me remind you that in us, there's a powerful force called the Holy Spirit. He's called the Spirit of Truth. 1 John 4, 4 says that he who is in you, he meaning the Holy Spirit, is greater than he that is in the world. This force, this power, which is the Holy Spirit, will help us to use the sword of the Spirit. You see, there is a relationship between uh, the, uh, the sword of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit. 
in both sides of us. And it's the Holy Spirit that's going to help us to utilize and to use that, that sort of the Spirit. This is the force that when we speak against the circumstances in our lives, we use that sort of the Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example of, of how powerful this Holy Spirit is in Paul's ministry. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13. I saw this, I said, oh my goodness, this is so awesome. Verse 13, Paul writes, when we tell you these things, he says, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. But he said, instead we speak words given to us by who? By the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. In order for us to speak the Holy Spirit's message, we must speak words that are given to us by the Spirit of God. We will not be able to speak into a person's life. We're not able to pray effectively. We're not going to be able to explain spiritual truths to anyone without using the Spirit's words. Paul was so effective in bringing the gospel message with power and with authority because of the fact that he used the sword of the Spirit effectively by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, if you remember when, when the Apostle Paul went into the city of Ephesus and began to preach the gospel there, I mean, it wreaked havoc in there. I mean, people were getting saved left and right. People that were practicing witchcraft and magic would take all their books and throw it out into the streets and have a bonfire. Business were being lost because they were selling idols that people were worshiping. And they were going out of business. And the scripture says in Acts 19 and verse 20, So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. That's the sword of the Spirit that was working through the Apostle Paul. But the power behind it was the Spirit of God. There's a connection between the sword of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit when he's living in us. John 16 and verse 13. This is what Jesus says. When the Spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, comes, he says he will guide you into what? All truth. Jesus says, thy word is truth. So he's going to guide us into all the word. And then he goes on to say, and he will not speak on his own, but what? He will tell you what he has heard. Who does the Holy Spirit hear from? He hears from God. The scripture says that the, the way that God reveals things to us is by his spirit. The Bible says that the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The Bible also says that no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So who qualifies best to reveal things to us except the Spirit of God, who hears from God? So therefore, the words that he gives us are God's word. And that's what we speak. There was a time, and I don't share this much. Uh, I may have shared this maybe once or twice, but never publicly. But one night I was sleeping, and this may have happened to some of you, and I was sleeping, and I was, deep, uh, I was in a deep sleep, and all of a sudden I woke up suddenly. But when I woke up suddenly, I felt a, an overwhelming presence of evil in the room. It was so 
so uh, overwhelming that that fear started to set in. I mean, I, I was now I wasn't afraid. I was scared, and I was so scared. I was paralyzed. I was afraid to even turn, uh, you know, take my the blankets off and to see what's behind me. But that presence was real, and it was overwhelming. And so I did what the only thing that I could do instinctively as a Christian, I began to quote scriptures. I quoted one scripture. And then I quoted another scripture. And before you know it, the scripture started coming fast. And it began to roll out of my lips and out of my mouth. One scripture after another. It just started coming at me. That was the Holy Spirit utilizing the sword of the Spirit at the time when I needed it in the midst of an overwhelming presence of evil. And as that word was coming out of my mouth, that presence of evil lifted. And all I could feel was the presence of God. And it was at that moment where I was half asleep and, and I'm wide awake. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. But then the Spirit of God just began to give me words at the time when I needed it to help me to overcome this fear, but at the same time also causing the, that presence to be lifted and to leave that room. That's how the sword of the Spirit is used. But it's by the Spirit of God. The reason why Jesus demonstrated great faith and the reason why he was so successful in ministry is because he never spoke words except the words from the Father. He only spoke what he heard the Father say. Listen to look at the John's Gospel in chapter 12. In verse 49, Jesus says this, I don't speak on my own authority. He said, the Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Then verse 50 says, and I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. That's how Jesus was able to resist the temptation. He used the sword of the Spirit by speaking words and saying it is written. He didn't use his own words. He used God's word to come against the temptation. He was using the sword of the Spirit. You want to speak life, speak God's word. You want the word of God to prevail in your life, begin to speak over your life. You want the word of God to prevail over your children's life, speak the word of God. Speak God's word. The Spirit of God will help us to use the sword to come from our mouths to launch an attack against the thing that come against us. Because that sword of the Spirit is, is an attacking force. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10.23 that we have to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering or confession. That word confession is so important. Because confessing is simply speaking God's word. I mean, you can confess any word. But the only word that's going to prevail, the only word that is significant, the only word that matters is his word. Because his word is going to prevail. Hebrews 3.1 tells us that we have to consider the apostle and high priest of our profession or confession, which is Christ Jesus. Listen, God appointed Jesus as the high priest and apostle over our confession, over our words. He is responsible to see to it that our words prevail. Jesus, the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 112 that God watches over his word to perform it, to bring it about, to accomplish things. 
Jesus is responsible for bringing our words to pass because he's been appointed a high priest and apostle over our confession. Hallelujah. I hope you're getting something out of this tonight. Words can change your circumstances. I like what Joel Osteen said. He says, don't use your words to describe your situation. He says, but use your words that will change your situation. Instead of worrying about your circumstances, speak God's word over your circumstances. I like what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says this, take no thought for your life. A, a more literal translation is, don't worry about your life, what you should eat, drink, or what you should wear. Then Jesus thought that this word was so important that he reiterated that same word. He repeated that word in verse 31 where he says, Therefore do not worry about your life saying what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or what shall I wear. How many of us have caught ourselves asking and wondering, how are we going to pay our bills? How am I going to do this? How am I going to accomplish that? How am I going to meet the mortgage? How am I going to raise my kids? Those are the wrong words to speak. Only Gentiles, unbelievers speak that way. But God's people speak another way. They speak God's word. They speak about what God says. He says the Gentiles speak and worry about what they should eat, drink, or wear. God's people don't worry about those things. God says, our, God's people says, my God should supply all of my needs. I'm a world overcomer. Hallelujah. That's the words that we speak. The key to right speaking is making sure that the words that we speak are of God. Making sure that the words we speak are his promises. And making sure that, our, that the words are in abundance in our hearts. Know that God's word filled in our hearts and having his word in abundance in our hearts, we're able to, to move mountain-sized circumstances. In Mark 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 22 and 23, probably one of the most pivotal verse in my life, in my Christian life. This is the one verse that helped me get over the hump of, of going whole hog for God rather than just you know, uh, just one foot in church and then one foot in the other church and every Sunday going up to the altar and rededicating my life every Sunday. It was a habit. It was like a tradition. Charles Cap says, I want to repeat what Charles Cap says. He says, God's word conceived in the heart, then formed with the tongue and then spoken out of the mouth becomes a spiritual force releasing the ability of God. So we look at Mark 11 in verse 22. Jesus says, have faith in God, or have the God kind of faith. Then in verse 23, he begins to explain what this God kind of faith is about. Then he begins in verse 23 saying, for surely I say to you, whoever says or speak words to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things that he says, words that he speaks, will be done and he will have whatever he says. Jesus says that we can move mountain-sized problems, mountain-sized circumstances, mountain-sized finances 
in our lives by what we say, by what we speak. And going back to what Joel Olson says, he said, don't describe the circumstances. Use words that's going to change your circumstances. And those words is his God's word. Notice that in verse 23, he only says the word believe once. But he says the word says three times, emphasizing the importance of words. Whatever you and I receive from God, we receive it by confession. That biblical term for confession is the Greek word homologia, which means agreement or being in agreement with God or speaking the same thing that God says. When you're confessing God's word, you're simply repeating what God said. So when I'm saying my God should supply all of my needs, I'm not saying it because I'm crazy. I'm saying it because that's what God said. So why not say what God says? If it was up to me, I'd say, I don't know how I'm going to meet these needs. But God has a, an answer. He says, I will supply all your needs. So why not say that? That's more encouraging, wouldn't you say? Rather than saying, well, how am I going to meet my needs? Jesus didn't say to talk about the mountain. He says to talk to the mountain. Or to say what God says to the mountain. Faith will remove mountainside circumstances when it is released with the words of your mouth. As I get ready to close, let me say this. Talking life is talking faith in what God has promised. As I mentioned to you, faith must be released in words. It's through our words that situations and circumstances will, 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 will prevail. Uh, the, the, the words will, will prevail over the circumstances in our lives. And if God says that he will supply all our needs, then that's what we should be saying. If God says that we are victorious and that we're more than conquerors, then that's what we should be saying. God's word is always truth, even though the circumstances doesn't agree with his truth. And I think that that's what we get so caught up with. Because we, we, we know what God says, but the circumstances doesn't tell us otherwise. But we can't go by the circumstances. And how many times have we been told from the pulpit, don't go by what you see, go by what, go by what you believe. Believing right and talking right is so essential to walking in victory. It is so essential to know that our words can prevail over any challenges that we face in life because we're speaking the right thing. We're speaking God's word. We are releasing the ability of God, which is his word. And no matter what the circumstances may be in your life, no matter what you're struggling with, whether it's loneliness whether it's depression, whether it's finances, whether it's struggling marriages, whatever it may be. No matter what the circumstances are, our mouths were created to glorify God, even in the midst of what we're going through. And probably that's the ultimate challenge because there are times when we don't feel like praising God when we're feeling down or depressed or when we're struggling financially and wondering, how are we going to pay our bills? Or when we're struggling in our marriage and, and things are bad. 
It's hard to stir up the, the, the energy to just praise God. But understand something. We're not just praising God. We're speaking words. Words that go upward, but words that also prevail the circumstances. Psalm 141 verse 3 says, Set guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips so that we won't say the wrong things. But he said, David, who, who was greatly distressed and was in a very bad situation, but yet the Bible says that David encouraged himself and strengthened himself in the Lord. That's in First uh, Samuel 30 in verse 6. I believe that he encouraged himself and strengthened himself with words. I believe he reminded himself of what God has done for him and what God will do. I believe he, he reminded himself of the promises of God. I believe that he, he reminded himself of what God said about his life. I believe he spoke words over his situation that strengthened him and encouraged him. Our mouth were created to bring glory and praise and thanksgiving to God no matter what the circumstances are. Psalm 89 verse 1, let me, let me say this. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 71 in verse 8 says, Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. And then one last verse. One that we all know. I will bless the Lord at all times, whether the good times or whether the bad times. I will bless him all the time and his praise will continually be in my mouth. Hallelujah. There's power in your words. Your words have power to destroy, but your, uh, your words also have power to prevail. And God chose us and called us to speak words of life, words that will cause us to prevail, words that will cause us to be on top and not beneath. Because we're children of God, that means something to us. That means something to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that the sword of the Spirit dwells in us richly. We thank you for the ability, Lord God, to be able to use the sword of the Spirit to be effective wherever we are. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you watch over your word to perform it. And as those words speak forth from our lips, Father God, that, that special, powerful force, that that word will prevail, Lord God, in every circumstances in our lives. Father, we thank you for speaking to us, encouraging us, Encouraging our faith, allowing us to see how effective our words can be to ourselves, to others, and even to our circumstances. And Father, thank you for equipping us with your word. Thank you for equipping us with the sword of the spirit. Thank you, Lord, for equipping us for victory. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that are here tonight. Those that are watching, I thank you that you've spoken into their hearts. I thank you, Father God, that you met them right where they are. And Lord, I just give you all the glory and praise for what you're about to do. Thank you, Father God, for being a blessing. Thank you for showing forth your presence here in our midst. 
And Lord, for this we thank you. And we honor you today in Jesus' name. Amen.